Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from Atlantic State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week are two sports writers who have not let bruises, cuts, and injuries hold them back this fall. It's Detroit Free Press beat writer Chris Solari and Atlantic State Journal sports columnist Graham Couch. Chris, let me start with you. How are you doing on this beautiful Thursday afternoon? I'm bruised, I'm caught up, and uh, plugging along. That's all. That's all we can ask for you entering Ohio State week, Graham. How about you? Hey, you know what? Yeah, I can tell you how Graham's doing. Um, he's sore, and he'll be ready when he's ready. All right, Graham. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 happy to share details of injuries, but I'm but I'm doing all right. My turf toe is healing, and and we're uh, we're, we're we're getting back at it. We're all just battling uh, injuries of sorts, whether it's just weather change, illnesses, and allergies, or turf toe, or. Or whatever, everything that Jane Reed's going through is just, uh, its uh, that's ruining falls for all of us, I guess, is, is one way to put it. And uh, I guess we can start there uh, this week. Of course, like I mentioned, it is Ohio State week for the Spartans, who are uh, coming off a, another tough performance and, and losing at Maryland last week. And then I know everybody got to kind of talk to Jane Reed this week, or at least write about him. Uh, and I think we have, we've always known that his you know lack of production and lack of being able to be on the field has, has hurt the Spartans this year. But I mean, the Maryland game was just another situation where that was exacerbated quite a bit. And uh, now that we kind of know a better extent of what's going on with them, does that make things better or worse? Or what do, what do you guys think about about Jane Reed's status? You know, for the Ohio State game and for the rest of the season, quite frankly. Quite honestly, it is what it is. I mean, you know, he was banged up during camp. Caden Hauser kind of let that out of the bag a little bit, but we knew from ducking into practice a little bit that we got a chance to see that he was sometimes not there. Um, and he mentioned about being in a boot, and I'd heard previously that it was a foot injury. And, you know, you, you know those early games, you don't really need him. But then the first game, you know, he's back on the field playing, and he takes a hard fall uh, against Western. And, you know, that took him out of the end of that first half, and then when he came back in the second half, he wasn't returning kickoffs. Then the Akron game happens, and, you know, he's back on the field again and makes a leap for a grab and lands on that same hip that he injured the week before, only this time he doesn't stick in the turf. He just keeps going into a bench and gets a deep cut. And, and hearing about that that cut and, the, you know, the things that he needed to do, I mean, it's such a weird injury, Um you know, enough of, a, of an issue that Michigan State wrapped the benches, the corners of the benches the following week, or uh, when they did get back, I should say. But, yeah, I mean, you know, he even last week at Maryland, there were points towards the end of the game where he didn't look like he was running his routes as crisp and as hard. I mean, there were some, there were some redirects that Peyton Thorne was trying to do when he got flushed from the pocket and send Reed downfield, and Reed was just kind of, 
more or less playing a, a traffic cone to try and keep a defender away and re, and Thorne ran out of bounds, some of those things that might not have shown up on the video on the, the TV, but, but certainly were visible during the game. And, you know, he, he, Graham, I think you mentioned this after the game. He doesn't look like he's running remotely close to 100% right now. No, he, he doesn't look like the same guy, not quite the same burst. There was one move against Maryland where I thought he looked okay. You know, I mean, obviously, he's Jaden Reed. He's a pretty good player. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's – that, that's a problem because they need him – you know, they don't have a lot of guys who are real difference makers, who are real problems, who are problems when you're facing a team like Ohio State. And at his healthiest and best, I think Jaden Reed is one of those or at least close to it. And, and this passing game this week – uh, you know, needs to have, um, you know, its best week ever. <laughs> because, frankly, they're going to have troubles on defense, big troubles, and they're not going to be able to run the football. Though I do think that they need to, like, try to run the football. Attempts is more important than yards this week in some ways. But the, the they need Reed to be a guy this week. They need him to be healthy enough to be a problem. And if he's not, um, they've really got no shot. Not that they have one. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I noticed in the Minnesota game, um, you know, he he missed the Washington game, which was the first time in his career that he wasn't required to sit out, that he had to sit out because of an injury, because he had to sit out that whole season when he transferred from Western Michigan. Um, the Broncos, if you haven't listened to this podcast and need to drink. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, there was a deep, pass uh probably a deep post i think it was a deep post pass from from thorn to reed and those guys have multiple years of chemistry together and people said oh man peyton thorn missed Jaden reed he had him deep wide open but he's thrown to the spot where he thinks Jaden reed can get to i don't think Jaden reed can get to that spot right now which tells you a little bit i don't think i think some of those things um you know and, and some of the guys uh, on the offense talk about with Thorne, some of his issues might not necessarily be Peyton Thorne's issues. They might be receiver depth, um, timing, uh, you know, any number of things that, you know, it falls back on the quarterback, but ultimately it could be something different. And I think that's the same with the Reed situation. I mean, they had that nice corner route for a touchdown, and and you, you saw that in the Maryland game, and you're like, oh, there they are. There's that. But that was fleeting. And, you know, you're right, Graham, this offense needs that because they need to have some big strike ability to, to match what the big strike ability Ohio State has. You mentioned the uh, touchdown versus Maryland. I guess if you're looking for positive signs from Michigan State, you have that. And the fact that uh, for the first time this year, he was the uh, team leader in targets with 13, unseating Keon Coleman for the first time this year. So if you want to look at that as a spin to, okay, maybe he's getting back to a point where – yeah, he maybe as close to 100% as he's been at any point this season. So uh, I don't I don't know if that's going to help against Ohio State, but uh, something to look forward to, I guess, for the rest of the year. Look, they need him healthy. I don't know where he is. He talked this week, which is something he was open about everything he went through, and they, they need him. He's got he's got to be. Um, they need him 100%. Uh, do you think we'll see him on punt and kick returns this week? I mean, yeah. I think he was back on punt returns. Um, but I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see because they haven't really gotten anything. I think that's kind of a, you know, you talk about hidden yards and hidden things. They haven't got much out of the, the kickoff return game with Jeremy Bernard and, and, uh, Jarek Broussard and 
now Terrell Henry. Um, that's something they need. And I mean, Reed's a guy that can break it. And I mean, if you're looking to win a game like this, you need some of those extra plays that, that Reed can provide you in the, in the return game. And, and Reed wants it. Like he even said it. Like, and, and this is something people don't, they're always like, well, why would you put somebody back there? He could get hurt. Like, you got to understand that Jaden Reed doesn't know what his NFL career is going to be. Like, to Jaden Reed, the returns are his money. If you take him off returns, you are messing with his wallet. And so, like, they do not he, – he wants to be back there. He even said it this week when they asked him about that. Somebody asked about the, the, the return that was called back and a shame that that was, that he had that touchdown return. And he said, yeah, well, it's on tape, though. And he's absolutely right. <laughs> There's still value in it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, he, if, if he can – he wants to be back there. This isn't – you know, he's not saving himself for the passing game because – you know, his shot at the NFL may be just as tied to that as it is uh, as a receiver. Do you, do you think he wishes that he just would have stayed in the draft last year? And if he just ended up as an undrafted free agent somewhere, do you think he wonders about that? I'm sure every guy wonders about it that doesn't go. And I think there are guys the other way that go, you know, someone like an Edwin Baker, for example. I mean, you know, he got drafted, but what was the longevity of his NFL career? I mean, well, you know, had to stay another year. Yeah, and Baker was an interesting guy because he 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 had the misfortune of timing. Like, you know, Baker yeah. Baker was Baker had a um, you know he he was in a situation where he wasn't necessarily going to be the 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 guy, and so he left. And yet, the the game has moved away. Nobody's the guy anymore. That's okay. But he was sort of in that middle zone where you still had featured running backs, and if you weren't like maybe you had to do something else. And you know, there. You know, I covered a guy, by the way, Western Michigan, Kalamazoo, by the way, is, is a drink if you want. Um, a guy named Tony Scheffler, who, yeah, who played uh, is uh, you know was an NFL tight end with the Broncos and Lions for for quite a while and successful. And he applied for a sixth year at the end of the 2005 year and wanted it because he it was a heavy tight end draft. Thought you know I, I I may need this to play in the NFL and didn't get it. And wound up being a second-round pick and having a great career. And I remember talking to him about that early on. He just said, thank you, NCAA. Like, you never know. You can think you need the other year and you don't. And then you can, uh, you can, have, a, um, you know, you can have a situation where you're better off. And, and, and obviously with guys like Henderson and, 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 and Reed, I mean, they, they, they did what they thought. I mean, they, they clearly knew they weren't high on NFL radars or they would have been gone. I think you look at the situation with Jalen Naylor. I mean, you know, Naylor, interestingly, had his first catch last week, but he did it on a trick punt on special teams. I mean, you know, he wasn't catching the ball from Kirk Cousins in the offense. So that's also something that you keep in mind. Yeah, you get paid, but what's your role? Are you are you developing with where you want to be? Um, you know, the difference between Naylor and Reed is the speed. You know, I, I think – the speed and the durability, I think, the other way, because Naylor wasn't healthy throughout his MSU career and throughout his college career, but teams saw the speed, and, you know, you get drafted with speed alone. I don't think Reed has that kind of speed. I don't think he has that kind of um, breakaway ability, but, you know, he's a possession receiver, and where do those guys typically go in the draft? I mean, not all that high. So, um, you know, I do think, though, and it's just, I think, something with Mel Tucker – brings is they get a better I think more open and honest assessment by having a lot of the NFL guys around and and scouts in and out of practice so you know it's not like they're just guessing what they're seeing they get a better glimpse in how guys work and 
things that they need to work on. So I, my guess is there may be a little bit of regret just simply because of the injuries, but I think he also has a clear enough head that he knows he knew going into making that decision where his draft stock was a year ago. But I think we I think we'd all kind of love to see a, a Michigan State team with with Peyton Thorne quarterback and a healthy Jaden Reed and a healthy Jalen Naylor for twelve games. I think the the, the trajectory of this season is, is way different if those things happen. But uh, let's move uh, on to the Ohio State game here a little bit. So um, we all remember what Michael Penix did to Michigan State's past defense. Uh, we all remember what Tanner Morgan did to to a, less, a little bit of a lesser extent. Then we uh, go back to last Saturday when Tagaviola uh, was 32 of 41 for 314 yards and a touchdown. Those are uh, very good numbers for for the younger uh, Tagaviola. And uh, now we have C.J. Stroud coming into Spartan Stadium on Saturday afternoon, who, uh, who as Michigan State fans, will certainly remember just uh, absolutely victimized the Spartan pass defense uh, last year. Now, obviously, he doesn't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson uh, this year because, you know, obviously, those guys are first-round talents. Both of them have had already had you know pretty good NFL moments here so early in the season, but uh, it's Ohio State. They just uh, reload, and uh, I guess what's what's our worry factor about the secondary, maybe the Spartan defense in general heading into Saturday? Graham, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a number of things. One is, you know, it's not just the passing game. This is a, a, a team that has got two very good backs and an offensive line determined to maul people this year, and um, – you know, they're without their best receiver, and they got two more explosive guys. And, and obviously, Stroud is going to be the number one pick and all that stuff. You know, it, it's an interesting week because you're not playing, you know, no, never are you playing for the shutout if you're this MSU defense. But you're playing a different kind of game. You're playing a, a, a rope-a-dope of sorts. You're playing trying to survive. And, you know, the the man defense stuff, I don't know. You know, the third, all, all the bend but don't break stuff the fans hate, That that's the plan. That's the play this week. And, you know, you may not like it, but understand that you're just trying to keep it in front of you. Make them drive the field and then have some third downs that are successful because you know, I think Ohio State's at like 60% on the year on third down conversions. Ohio, Michigan State's one of the worst, giving them up 44 uh, in the Big Ten. I mean, it's, it's they, you know, you just want to hang in there, make them drive the field, so and then give your offense a chance and get off the field occasionally on third downs and understand your offense is going to have to put up 35 points, but, but that's okay. You just, you just can't have a game where Ohio state picks the score. And that's what happens if you don't stop the run or the pass to any degree and, and you let people get behind you. Yeah. That's easier said than done. I mean, you know, they had 500 yards of offense and seven touchdowns a year ago. Um, and Michigan state's offense couldn't get anything going and at that point you may as well just say that Kenneth Walker was out of that game because he got I think six touches and wasn't healthy I mean it was pretty clear his ankle was banged up in that game but you know going back to Stroud I mean it's just you know the Ohio State machine doesn't skip a beat when you replace put replacement parts in there I mean they got Marvin Harrison's kid and Emeka Buka who are combining for 11 touchdowns and I think 54 catches and nearly a thousand yards already between them. So, and then they've got Julian Fleming back from injury uh, from earlier in the year. So you got three guys right there without even talking about the, the big tens all time single season receiving leader Jackson Smith and Jigba who's out has been out with injuries. So, I mean, and it doesn't seem like he's going to play, but who knows at this point, they got, I think they got a bye week next week. So they can just kind of rest them, and but you know whether he's available will be interesting to see. And they got a tight end 
you know, in Stover, who's making some big plays too. So, and that's, that's just the passing game. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, you know, what, what happens with, uh, with, with Travion Henderson, I think is going to be interesting, but you know, Mayan Williams tore apart Rutgers last week. What, what, what I think is going to be really interesting to see too is last year, Michigan state was in contention for a big 10 title when they went to Columbus and got down seven touchdowns out of the gate before halftime. Is Ryan Day going to keep that throttle going if they do that, if they're moving at will, or will he try and rest some guys, bring in some younger guys and more inexperienced guys earlier, knowing that it could be a situation where they could pick a score? I, I mean, quite honestly, you know, knowing they have a bye week the following week, that might be a play. So, I mean, it's, you know, it. It's just a tough matchup because everything that Ohio State does well on both sides of the ball is where Michigan State struggles. And, you know, it's, it's not a very favorable matchup at this time for Michigan State. Yeah, if we'll recall, after, after week one, uh, after Ohio State only beat Notre Dame 21-10 and really offense didn't look Ohio State-ish, and then there was talk, oh, maybe they're down this year, maybe they're down this year. Well, they put up 45 against Arkansas State, 77 against Toledo, 52 against Wisconsin, and then 49 last week against Rutgers. So uh, that's just more supporting evidence, we, supporting evidence of what you guys have been saying, that uh, the Buckeye offense is just is humming. <laughs> but you know what? What's interesting about that is none of those teams – that's not exactly a murderer's row, and every one of those games is at home for Ohio State. This is their first yeah. road test. Notre Dame's obviously proven to be a far less uh, far less of a threat on the national scope this year as thought of going into the year with Marcus Freeman. Um, so, you know, what what are we looking at with Ohio State? I mean, you know the talent's there from what you saw a year ago, um, but, you know, I do think that that's certainly one of those elements that could play – and again, you know, I still think that Ohio State is just playing at too much of a high of a level for Michigan State. But if you want to play devil's advocate and say what could Michigan State do to win this game, that's one thing. You know, the the potential for a hostile environment, maybe um, if Ohio State fans don't overtake the Spartan Stadium, um, the potential to get on the board early and and cause some adversity for a team that really hasn't faced much this year is another. Um, but you know, and, and, and I mean, there's the history of, of what's happened, you know, I think in 72, 74 and 98, when Michigan state was unranked, I mean, three, I think I saw a stat today that, uh, of 15 wins, I think seven of Michigan state's wins over Ohio state, uh, were when the, the Buckeyes were ranked in the top five. So I, I believe that was the number, but, um, but still, you know, Michigan State's in this series historically has always been able to punch up in some way, shape, or form. I don't know necessarily right now if they've got the horses to do it, but it's college football in 2022. Stranger things have happened. Graham, do you do you expect a, a heavy Spartan, a heavy and enthusiastic Spartan crowd at Spartan Stadium this week? Do you think they're up for this, or do you think they've been very bummed out by these loss, these Big Ten losses already that uh, and the loss to Washington that uh, it might not matter? I don't think it'll be an enthusiastic crowd. I think just a number of people are trying to give away tickets. and <laughs> you know It's a good good day to, good weekend to keep an eye on it on the TV or go to a bar and, uh, you know, where you got multiple games and beer in front of you. Um, the, the, the thing that I think to, to possibly counter a little bit of the, the – 
Like, I think Michigan State would be better off in Columbus this week because Ohio State, you know, you're looking for dynamics that can help you. And one is that Ohio State is not yet um, – or, or Ohio State, none of these guys respect Michigan State maybe, right? The last two years, they've just pummeled them. Um, you know, they, and to, if, they, if they played in the 2019 game, they would have remembered how that felt early. That was a little different. But And the Ohio Michigan State guys don't have a lot of confidence. And Mel Tucker talked about, you know, it starts with belief. And I'm not sure there's a lot of that there. Uh, however, so if this game was in Columbus and it was a sixth straight home game for Ohio State, just another home-home day, and you could see them, like, sleepwalking through it or not taking them seriously – but you get their first road game of the year. It's like a, a renewed focus. You're on the ho- in the hotel together. It's different. You come out in a, in a opposing team stadium. Like they're just not going to not have, you know, that, that focus to them. I, I think it actually hurts Michigan State being home this week um, just because you're looking for any potential edge that you could find because what you don't have, you don't have the players to match up with them. I mean, you know, the, the – if you look at the history of games where Michigan State has is won, I just wrote about this uh, and sort of looking historically on things you can draw from, and there have been a number of games where Michigan State's been a massive underdog and either performed above expectations and made it competitive, which I think most people would settle for, or won outright. There are very few that, that, that look at all like this. And, you know, people talk about 98. Well, 98, that Michigan State team had as many pros as Ohio State did. They just underachieved. Yep, they were a year away. Yeah, and, and Ronaldo Hill and I talked to him a few years ago. Just said it. He said we we knew we were everybody's talented as they were. That you know that team had three first round picks on it. I mean that was that was different. They had the guys that Mel Tucker talks about. Mel Tucker was on that Michigan State staff as a GA. Uh, the, uh, the guys that it, you, you need to be difference makers. You look at the the 2016 game when they were like um, you know 20 point dogs or whatever it was, and and, and you know lost 17 16. Well, that that roster still had the remnants of even though they lacked leadership and it was a dreadful year still had the remnants of the 36 and 5 run you had a better offensive line you had the best of lj scott and and you didn't have an ohio state team that was quite this electric even if they were unbeaten so there, there are a number of games you start to go through and there's just nothing quite like this there are the things you can draw from um but there's nothing quite like this and and nothing to suggest that this msu team this year has a chance there was you know, the, the talent, you know, that was year four of Saban in 98. So he had time to accumulate talent. And obviously that's been different, particularly because of the parameters with the pandemic and everything else that, that transpired, um, you know, the last few years for Tucker. So I, I think the talent is one thing, but when we talk about the stadium and the crowd, th- that's something I think when Tucker was hired, and throughout, you know, the early part of last season when they started having success, that he talked about in terms of changing the culture. And it's not just the culture from the team and from in the product and on the field and everything. It's the culture and mindset of Michigan State fans to be more like Ohio State fans that are going to go and kind of do what they did in Seattle and, and overtake a stadium. Um, but at the same point, do it at home, week in, week out. Be there regardless of, of what's going on. Um, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge that every coach has faced. You know, even Mark D'Antonio faced that. Think about some of those games, and some of it's the weather, some of it's, you know, the, the atmosphere, some of it's, you know, how 
the the product has been presented over time by Michigan State, um, you know, whether it be restrictions on tailgating or whatever else, but it has to be an event. It has to be something that for six weeks in your in the fall, it's got to be must. It's got to be appointment based on your calendar, and it's not there right now. And particularly when the and he's he's mentioned that the product is not there. They're not pro- producing the product on the field to generate that, but. From the fan base, I mean, all the hype and and whatever nonsense people talk about winning a national championship in five years or whatever, um, you know, nonsense propaganda that people want to put out there. If you don't have the bodies in the seats, if you don't have the fan base that's there, well, it, you're, these are the moments where you need it. And that's, that's a culture change. That's a culture shift that Mel Tucker is going to f- try and fight like every other coach before him. I don't know if they'll win it. Unless, I mean, you think of D'Antonio's teams, even even the teams that went to the Rose Bowl, the team that went to the college football playoff had games where they were, you know, by the third or fourth quarter, they weren't there. I think about that one Nebraska game, you know, the fans left. That, that's a culture thing. I mean, that's, you know, that's that's not anything a coach can do. That's got to be come from within the fan base. But, yeah, but that's, that's yeah. happening in the SEC. That happens at Alabama now. State oh, yeah. frustrated. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And, and, you know, I'll 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 blame fans when they get a little more creative on commercial interruptions that take four minutes in the stadium and break after break. Like at this point, college football doesn't have really a product that's marketable or watchable. We're just addicted to it. And until we get some new blood and, and new ideas and how to creatively create revenue and advertising in games that doesn't draw them out like that, I've got zero respect for anybody who wants more out of the fan base. To me, to me, you are lucky people are there. You are lucky we're obsessed with this sport because, frankly, it is not an experience that anybody who came off an alien ship and was dropped into would find it all worthwhile. You think about, too, I mean, you know, how much grief I get about not liking night games. Um, you know, who wants, to, who wants to sit at a night game, an 8 o'clock kickoff in early November? And then be there until midnight. I mean, that's what happened with that one Nebraska game. I mean, that's you know, there, you got to understand that it's different. You know, you, you can't think, oh, well, we got to have primetime games. But that's again, that's a monetary decision. That's not that has nothing to do with the fan experience. There's a reason why those stadiums sometimes are empty at the end of those kind of cold games. You know, come the end of October and early November, uh, particularly when the games, you know, the product's not that good. It's because of that reason, because they're chasing the dollars in the TV slots and letting yeah. TV dictate that. And, you know, that puts fans in a bad spot. I don't care how much tailgating you can have from, you know, sun up to sundown before a kickoff like that. Ultimately, if you're there for the football game, it's not a great product by the time you get to the third and fourth quarter and you're freezing your face off. No, you know, I, you know, I had an uh, aunt and uncle who were in town for the MSU game against Minnesota, and, and notably that was not an great game to sit through but they they left early and and i mean i think it was you know my uncle was just i mean he's a football fan he's a lifelong buffalo bills fan whatever he he just he was amazed by the delays and and just how long you're sitting there and they've got to work on and i i think you know alan haller they've talked about you know beer, beer in the stadium and and you know they're trying to you know they got different sort of restaurants around and they're trying to improve that experience um, but when you when you make the choices right, as you said, Chris, to put TV first, um, it's always going to be a uh, 
it, it, you, you, you got to live with those consequences, especially when the TV experience just starts getting uh, starts getting better and uh, better absolutely. And yeah, and we're gonna gonna be in the mid fifties for kickoff uh, on Saturday. Well, I guess it'll depend on how sunny it is, or if it's just completely overcast. That might alter the mood of the fans, along with the <laughs> the halftime score. Um, I mean, you guys have kind of hit on this, but it, it, but it's just like, and I'm not delivering hot takes here. Like, you know, you're sitting through those eight o'clock games in late November. It, if you're a top five team, it's a completely different thing. Whereas, like, if you like, if you're a meddling four and five team, four and seven team, yeah, you don't want to sit through that at, at all. But uh, and then yeah, better better question is what it's going to be like at seven thirty, yeah. eight o'clock. Yeah. Not not so much a kickoff. Yeah, on the way down. On the way down from fifty-five degrees, if not uh, already in the in the high forties by by the time that happens, and and you guys are just kind of reiterating a lot of things you guys have already said, it might, they're going to need Ohio State to pull like a Chiefs against the Colts uh, in Week Three when they made like four special teams mistakes and uh, just I mean, a costly penalty, a costly uh, personal foul penalty that gave the Colts another shot. Now the Colts needed like ten chances to finally win that game, but they got them. So. I mean, he, like Graham was saying, you just got to. It feels like you just got to catch an Ohio State team just completely sleepwalking through the game, making a crazy amount of mistakes, and and hope maybe you you pip a couple points uh, here and there. But uh, we've seen it happen before. This is this is sports, right? You gotta you gotta win turnovers, and that is you know that is something this team has not done yet. And yeah. um, you know, so there, there's no doubt. Like to me, that is you know something they did well last year. They haven't done yet, and you know. It, these are college kids, and, and I know Ohio State got tested a little against Notre Dame, and that was closer than people expected. But if you if you can get a situation where things don't go right that have been going right, um, you never know how you know people will react. The problem is, you know, it, there's just not a lot of evidence that <laughs> no. that's going to be on the MSU side of things. Yeah, and, and going back to the Chiefs Colts thing, I mean, the Colts got shut out by freaking Jacksonville uh, the week before, then came back and beat the Chiefs at home. So. Again, we're just trying to grasp straws, trying to throw things. But, yeah, like Graham, you were saying, uh, there has been no imperial evidence through uh, 10 halves of football, I think it is, so far this year, where it seems like Michigan State is, is going to win this game. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if there were – you know, and they don't have – again, they don't have the people that, that make you – like, here's the thing. Like, if, if they were really young and, – and this is where the transfer thing doesn't – doesn't necessarily help you, but if you were really young in the defensive backfield, and you're you know you're starting a couple of freshmen out there who, well, you know these guys are promising players, but they've taken their lumps, and all of a sudden it comes together. You know that I mean that's what happened in '98, right? With you know Cedric Henry and Ronaldo Hill, you get a couple of guys out there and held up, and there's just not a lot of, on the defensive side of the ball that, that now they may get a little healthier, um, but that, that says. You know, this is going to ever be a lot different this year, and and that you know, obviously, whenever they get Xavier Henderson back, if that were to happen, um, you know, that would be helpful. Jacob Slade would be, I think, very very helpful uh, against the run. Um, but you know, they, ultimately, they, they just don't have, you know, they, they need their strength, their chance, not just this week. Because the, here's the thing about this week, like this week, I think fans they, they don't want to be humiliated. But this is not a week to judge MSU because basically when you talk about the sort of the, we've talked about the parallel tracks of the program, what's happening now and then the recruiting for the future. The, the reason you paid Mel Tucker, the dream is to recruit with Ohio State. That's that's a couple years down the road. That's recruiting base. That's not now. You know that it's all the other games that 
I, I think people are frustrating. But you want to try. You know, I think back to that 2016 Michigan game. It was 30 to 10 at halftime. Winds up being 32-23. And, you know, that, that was – Michigan didn't leave there with some sense of, oh, they re-took re over the rivalry. Michigan State wasn't embarrassed at all. They, they, they sort of kept their dignity, so to speak, in that, the way they fought at the end. And I think that's all MSU's fans are hoping for now. And I even think for the team, having a game where there was some success late, where they weren't completely annihilated, they walk out of there feeling pretty decent. That 16 year was the one where they were 17-60 with Ohio State, right? Same year, yep. I mean, that that team was competitive. This team hasn't shown that the past three weeks at all. At all. I mean, you know, they're giving up. I mean, they've given up, I think, 40, however many points it's been. I mean, 108 to 19 to Ohio State the past year, two years. Um, that's, that's a lot to give up, 108 to 19 or whatever it is. And then... You look at the last couple of weeks, I mean, you know, Maryland beat them by two touchdowns. And, you know, they've lost these games big. I mean, it's, that's, it's a different – it's just a different type of, of bad right now than it was in that 16-year. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of weird. Um, but you're right. I do think that this – you mentioned the parallel tracks. I think that's kind of important. I mean, you need to, you need to understand that this is – and, it, again, this is a game that – you know, I don't think anybody coming into the year thought, well, this Michigan State team can beat Ohio State after what happened last year, but they can be more competitive. That's, I think, it, it, you hate to say, I think uh, Peyton Thorne maybe said this after the game, that there are no more moral victories. But if there is one, you got to be competitive, period. You know, even if it's just for a half. You know, you can't have the same thing as last year and be down seven touchdowns right out of the gate. Yeah, I think this whole month, like, obviously Wisconsin – and I don't think the firing of Paul Chris helps, but uh, that's the game you got to try and you got to win. Uh, but if even the Michigan game, and this is the work that's been done, this is when you won ten and fourteen years, this is when you're two and zero as Mel Tucker. Michigan's a better team than Michigan State by quite a bit right now, and that's another game where you just want to get out of there with your dignity. And and there's then there's nothing that the opposing team or the the opposing fan at the water cooler can really say to you because you've done such good work over the past couple years and past decade and a half. But if it's one of those things where it's just really ugly and it looks like the programs are in very, very, very different places, then it, then it's then it's tough. And I, and I think even for Michigan State's players, if you, you get out of this month, and, I, and I, you know it's hard to believe I'm saying this for this program given what they were hoping for at the beginning of this year, but if you get out of this month at three and, um, what, three and five, and if you've beaten Wisconsin and you haven't been obliterated beyond any, you know, to every degree by Ohio state and Michigan, you'll feel okay going into November that you've got a shot to find a way to get three wins and get to a postseason and, 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 you know, and have the year not feel like a disaster. Um, so that, that, uh, and again, the year won't be a disaster regardless of what happens. As long as those kids who are committed, those four star kids don't decommit. They, they they can go two and ten, right? And if he signs a class of fifteen four star kids, does not matter. It's all it's a that's a separate track. It's when this track messes with that track that you got a problem. I think uh, that, that was well said there, Graham. And that's hitting on a lot of things we talked about last week when it kind of came to recruiting and you know not key maybe needing to keeping a few more of D'Antonio's guys to kind of fill out some, the depth chart a little bit. But uh, 
Well, I, I think we've said everything we need to say about uh, about this game. Uh, let's move on to uh, our predictions for this week. I think we know, once again know where everyone is leaning. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. What is your prediction and, and score? Well, like I said earlier, um, the things that Ohio State does well really just kind of runs countercurrent to what we're seeing from this Michigan State team, what they don't do well. I mean, the pass defense has struggled. The offensive line has struggled. The run game has struggled. And, you know, those are areas that if you're going to compete in a game like this, I mean, you, you know, you've got to keep the ball, first of all, out of C.J. Stroud's hands, which when you rank 129th out of 131 teams in time of possession, that's not going to get it done. And when you rank 115th in pass defense in yards allowed, um, that's not going to get it done. So, I, I, I mean, I just – you know, I I, I I still don't understand the spread all that much because I still think it's low based on what we've seen from these two programs this year. Um, so I, I've got Ohio State winning this one 51-14. to 14. Graham? It, it's it's an interesting spread. I think MSU is getting some brand recognition here. It, it, yeah, I should, before you continue, the, the spread according to DraftKings is 27. Go ahead. 27, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's moved up a little bit, um, but it, but not not substantially. I mean, there's there must be some money coming in on MSU um, to, to to keep it where it is, um, which I would not advise people to do. <laughs> but again, there have been a number of games where people you, you just kind of assume that Michigan State's gonna that, that the spread is gonna be you know covered by the team that's a heavy favorite against MSU, and historically that has not always been the case. And um, so some of it might be the injuries with Henderson and, and Jackson Smith and Jigna too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Henderson's supposed to be back this week, but you know we'll see. What is he 100? percent What was it? What does that do? Um, yeah, you know I, I'm kind of with Chris here. Um, I, I think this game will get. Um, you know I, I I think Michigan State's gonna uh, probably struggle on both ends, and uh, Ohio State is gonna pretty much be able to uh, pick the score. Um, you know I, I would go somewhere. Uh, you know, 48, um, 48, 14, something in that range. Um, and um, I think I think Ohio State covers. I wonder if it's also because they brought that number down because of Rutgers last week. The Rutgers game last week was like 40 plus 49, I think it was. And uh, I bet on that. So thank you, Rutgers, for <laughs> covering 49 points last week. But uh, here's the other thing. Phil, I mean, I, I think that there is, you know, Michigan State is not, uh, this is an Iowa's offense. Right. So, you know, one of the things that can happen in these games, too, is you get a massive lead and Michigan State's trying to salvage something out of it and get something going and you get a lot of backdoor stuff. You know, Michigan State's still, you know, trying to score points with some pretty talented players in, 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 in the second half and, and the game gets inside of 27, even if it was a blowout. So I, I can see lots of scenarios where MSU finds a way to cover this. I just... It, it it just doesn't feel like there's a recipe for it to be competitive. Yeah, Grant, uh, I will say that uh, my score was basically almost the exact same as yours. Uh, I was going to say forty nine to fourteen, and there's a part of me that that thinks the Buckeyes are going to sleepwalk through a decent portion of this game. But like we said, we've seen Michigan State play five games now, and it might not even if they're sleepwalking, it, it might not matter. But it is on my radar a little bit that the Buckeyes, there's a potential for them to kind of sleepwalk through this. Because obviously it was different last year because uh, they were both top five. Were they both in the top five in the, in, for last year's game? When, so there was no no sleepwalking through that one. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you guys want to talk a little basketball before we, before we sign off here? And other, I mean, MSU Madness uh, 
is Friday night at Breslin leading into the Ohio State game, and I uh, should be should be okay crowds, I think, for, for both of those things, uh, or for the men's and women's team. We'll, we'll see what happens there. And Chris, I know you wrote a story about the, the thinning roster about the team this year, but uh, uh, what are your kind of takeaways uh, on, on, on the team as the season gets underway here for, uh, they've been in practice for a couple weeks now? Well, I think the big take, and I, I kind of talked about this a little bit in that story at Freep.com, um, you know, they, they've got basically right now nine guys, so you don't even have ones versus twos right now in practice. And that changes a lot of the dynamics of what Izzo does, even in a practice setting, right? I mean, he he will yank, he's been known to just yank guys out for an entire practice if they're not performing. He's been known to yank guys out of games um, with a quick hook if they don't do the things that they're supposed to, that changes his perspective on some of this. I mean, you're not going to be able to. You don't have the 11th, 12th, 13th guy down the bench who can, you know, come in and maybe give you something at this point this season. So he's going to have to learn to live through some mistakes and let guys play through it. And it sounded like with Malik Hall, kind of what he said is, you know, guys are kind of liking that idea of, hey, you know, we know that if we, if we aren't doing something right, that we got to fix it on the court. We can't just go sit on the bench and watch it, which is going to be a totally different dynamic for an Izzo team and really for him as a coach. And, you know, whether this is a, a, an experiment and it'll quickly swell back to the 13 full scholarship component or, or uh, <clears throat> compliment um, because he doesn't like that idea, you know, we'll see, but this is the, the hand they have right now. And, you know, they've got, like I said, until Jaden Akins get back there, they got nine scholarship bodies. And and right now, Malik Hall is back from his toe injury, but you know he, he's limited. I saw him grimace at least once um, with a on a cut with it. But you know it's also early October versus uh, you know late October, early November. So he's got plenty of time to get back to 100. percent You know that that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering how much are the of a good look are these guys going to see in practice when it comes time to prepare for their opponents. I'm looking forward to watching the season because I love the fact that there isn't as much depth and they're going to have to play guys a lot more minutes. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of intrigue with this roster. I think it's a decent roster, um, you know. And the Jaden Reed thing is not Jaden Reed. Uh, Jaden Aiken's uh, deal is is interesting because you know you've got a you've got a schedule that is as wicked as any that that's ever been put together there, and you know it. I have a feeling he is not going to be back full go till just about the start of that. And then how are you working him in? Like the dynamics of the team in November are going to be different than the dynamics of the team later. And yet you're playing some of your biggest and toughest games. And so I, I, I do think there's that, that could be a little bit of a little bit problematic you, right now. I think, you know, Tyson Walker is pretty much playing off the ball. And, uh, and they and, and, uh, they they like what they see and, and they know they can just move him back to the point guard as a backup when they need to. But um, so I, I think they are preparing to, uh, to 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 need to not rely on Akins at the very beginning, just as he works himself back in. So that that that's the the, the interesting part of things. Um, and uh, you know, I think Midnight Madness is not something I uh, usually go to, but I think it's it's a, it's, a, it's a cool opportunity for people. I think it's a really cool thing that you know it's not like the old days the old days it was really cool when it was the beginning of practice like you know if you're a hoops junkie at midnight they could roll out the balls and actually scrimmage and there was something to that that is that is fun um and 
now they've been practicing for a while, but I still think it's a cool thing. They do a nice job with it, and it's a great chance for, for people who don't often get over there for a lot of things. Tickets are expensive. It's hard to get, you know, the good full Michigan State basketball experience, and it's a chance to get something like that. And and the ability to work with the kids in the summer, that's new too. That changes some of this yeah. as well. All right. Any final thoughts before I sign off here? I will say that if things go very poorly on Saturday, this might end up being a Michigan State volleyball slash women's soccer podcast for next <laughs> week's recording. But uh, I, I got I got nothing. I will right. I'll have more for you after uh, after Saturday. <laughs> all right. We'll look forward to your guys' uh, post-game video discussion, which you will be able to find on LSJ.com and Freep.com. Talking Spartans, that's the name. I guess I should give it a proper plug, right? Appreciate you, Phil. Thank you. All right, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter, at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore Couch, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.